This is season three of the Dundeal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. I touch on loads of interesting topics, including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third party investments, etc. Hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. Yes, so today we are talking financial fair play. Probably one of the most controversial um, topics around at the moment. Um, Specifically, I guess, also because of what has happened with Manchester City relatively recently as well and um, their Champions League ban and significant fine. So what I wanted to do, because I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of questions on City, um, is to chat at least very briefly, go back to basics, a little bit of detail on um, what financial fair play is and what it isn't. Um, Just then talk about the benefits that financial fair play has brought, as well as obviously some of the curses. Um, I say curses, some of the downfalls or disadvantages of it. Um, and then thirdly, I think the most important, one of the most important things I think everybody wants to actually um, um, talk about or get some more comment on is Manchester City and where um, that case is going over the next few months. So um, without uh, further ado, let's just start briefly talking about um, financial fair play in a bit of detail. Financial fair play isn't necessarily the same across different leagues. My experience generally is in relation to um, the Premier League, um, the Championship, below the Premier League and UEFA. And it was UEFA that started off at the FFP regime. The the regulations, the cost control regulations in the Premier League and Football League don't actually call themselves the FFP regulations. They call themselves something slightly different, um, cost control and profitability provisions. Um, so, yeah, let's talk FFP. So, um the, the, the cost control and FFP regulations were effectively put in place um, to ensure that clubs become more self-sustainable by breaking even, um, at least in the medium to long term. And that was back in uh, 2010. UEFA, the Premier League, the Football League, as I mentioned, have all put different regulations, setting out spending restrictions um, that most clubs must respect. And they are effectively called in different ways, acceptable losses. And the general... The general principle, at least, is that clubs shouldn't be spending beyond their means, encouraging clubs to invest in sustainable long-term revenue-generating assets like stadium or youth development. And those type of costs tend to be um, removed from the break-even calculations. And what's important to note also in terms of the objective of the financial fair play regulations, um, that it wasn't to bring a more level playing field generally never been the case that the FFP regulations have been done that. And I think almost in a way, the, re- the, the word fair probably isn't a great marketing tool sometimes to, um, to make that reference to. Um, but I think the main thing that probably needs to be explained is that the, uh, the main aim and the long-term objectives of the FFP regulations in its various guises was to make clubs more financially healthier. I think that's ultimately the point. Now, if I take you through the basics of at least in terms of my experience of working on the different regulations for different clients, um, where they usually stand. So for clubs playing in UEFA competition, um, 
i.e. the Champions League and Europa League, they can make losses of up to, clubs can make up to losses of up to 30 million euros over um, a three-year period, over a three-year season, over three seasons rather, i.e. a three-year period. And that effectively means you can make up to losses of 30 million euros per season, which isn't a huge amount. Um, the Premier League equivalent um, is that Premier League clubs over a three-year period can make up to losses of £105 million over three years, i.e. £35 million a season. Um, but a lot of that needs to effectively be owner-funded. So, i.e. most of that money has to be put away in escrow in case clubs, um, or rather an owner, wants to spend more than they um, effectively earn um, and want to put in place long-term uh, player contracts or player transfers that that money has to be available should the club and owner lose interest um, to ensure that the club won't end up in financial hardship. And the third element um, is football league clubs that could make losses of up to £39 million over three seasons, um, i.e. £13 million a season. Now, if clubs go up and down between the Premier League and Championship, then um, there can be um, allowances done effectively. It then becomes a difference of £35 million per season if they're in the Premier League to £13 million a season if they're in the Championship over a three-year rolling cycle. Um, so that's the, the overview and the basics. Obviously, as we know, um, wages and transfer fees make up a, a large portion of the, the club's cost base. Um, and um, on the revenue side, the vast majority of the revenues come from broadcasting deals and commercial sponsorship and match day and ticketing. So um, what I then wanted to then go through at points two and three, and I'll do that in a second. Point two was, well, what have actually the advantages been of um, the FFP system? Um, and ultimately, what have been at the disadvantages um, of such a system too? Um, but before I do that, what I wanted to also do um, was uh, go through the quiz question. So, um, yeah, quiz. Quiz time just very briefly whilst everyone's thinking about it. And then I can uh, go through it again in a minute or two's time. So, um, in the 1819 season, 1819 Premier League season, there were 10 profitable clubs and 10 clubs with losses. Can you name the club with the largest loss in the 1819 season? So I'll say that again. 1819 season, 10 profitable clubs, 10 clubs with losses. Name the club with the largest 1819 loss. So uh, if we then turn to point two, which is what are the advantages um, of um, the FFP regime and what are the disadvantages, what the disadvantages look like they have been? So um, there were some really, what I would also really recommend by way of resources is um, there's a brilliant UEFA report called the UEFA Benchmarking Report that comes out every year. And I think there was a 10-year um, edition done relatively recently as well. Um, I, th I believe that, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's about 100 pages of pretty detailed, really interesting information. So, I'd, yeah, really recommend that. Um, and in one of the UEFA reports back in 2017, I believe, there were some really revealing statistics demonstrating 
um, that um, what effectively UEFA had done by implementing the FFP regulations had actually moved club spending behavior in the right direction. So in their benchmarking report, UEFA explained that the combined club operating profits in 2017 had risen to £600 million. And the stark contrast to that was that previously, in 2011, clubs had made combined losses of 1.7 billion euros. Sorry, I think it was 600 million euros. The combined losses were of 1.7 billion euros. That was prior to the introduction of FFP. So they've gone from a deficit of 1.7 billion to a profit of 600 million. And if you remember correctly, the background to all of this as well was that, especially in the UK, there were lots of instances and cases. There have been one or two relatively recently, but unfortunately they've been quite outliers at the lower division level, where um, clubs had gone into administration, had been declared bankrupt, hadn't been able to pay their creditors, etc. So FFP was the reaction to all of that um, gross overspending to ensure that clubs could um, effectively regulate themselves to ensure a certain level of um, spending. And if I take just a very brief um, Premier League cost control example, the Premier League cost control regulations were implemented in, I think, the 12-13 season. And in that season, 12 of the 20 clubs made losses. And there was a total overall loss of two, oh, just over 300 million um, pounds. Contrast that to a few years later, um, come the 16-17 season, I know that there's been a few more clubs that have suffered losses um, in the 18-19 the season, but at least in the 16-17 season, 18 of the Premier League clubs made operating profits, which is obviously substantive. Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, yes, we've seen operating profits and we've seen um, things moving in the right direction, but actually it simply just ties in the elite, um, benefits them significantly, um, and leads to a less attractive product and reduced competitive balance because the top clubs will just remain being the top clubs. So, yeah, I think that there is some merit to that argument in that um, it restricts the amount of money owners can spend on player transfers and wages um, to a degree. And it means the current new and aspiring owners can't challenge the established larger clubs, at least in the short term because that means effectively that the older, more established clubs will earn more revenue, thus be able to buy better players and be more likely to be successful on the pitch, which in turn drives commercial sponsorship and more partner um, deals, etc. Small clubs can't usually generate that short-term, those short-term revenues to fund spending on transfer and wages. And therefore, it means, according to a lot of critics of FFP, that the aspiring clubs are prevented from challenging the established clubs. And that inadvertently, the regulations have caused greater inequality between the clubs and therefore competitive balance, which you guys might know or not, basically maintain the maintenance of uncertainty of results to maximise the attractiveness of the product um, is reduced. Now, I think what UEFA would say is it was never the objective of the FFP regs to um, uh, reduce competitive balance. But ultimately, their point is, you can do different things at different times. There might be other ways to be able to improve competitive balance, greater redistribution of income, etc. But if you look back at those, some of those statistics as to the 1.7 billion euro loss to a 600 million euro profit, that is obviously a great sign of UEFA 
um, look, um, pointing things in a much better financial, long-term financial health um, perspective. So that's uh, point two, um, uh, the benefits of FFP and some of the criticisms. And I wanted just for a few minutes then to be able to talk about um, Manchester City. So, um, yeah, lots of interesting elements on um, Manchester City uh, and FFP. But the, the basis of it um, in terms of the, the two-season Champions League ban that was announced um, a little bit ago um, is based on the UEFA press release and then based on the official reporting by the Manchester City um, in their um, subsequent statements. And then more or less as follows. The, um, the UEFA club financial control body, um, the investigatory arm and then the adjudicatory chamber the adjudicatory chamber more or less came out with um, its decision that uh, Man City had overstated their sponsorship revenues and had not fully um, cooperated with UEFA in its investigation. And as a result, um, had banned the club for two um, Champions League or European competition seasons and fined the club 30 million euros as well. So I just wanted to comment on a few of the different bits that are coming out at the moment. Um, the, the first and most fundamental element is anybody that thinks they know whether Man City will um, win on appeal, lose on appeal, will have their sanction reduced or otherwise before cast the Court of Arbitration for Sport, um, I, I think ultimately is guessing because there isn't much um, official documentation or pre any other press release. There certainly aren't any decisions based, by, based on UEFA's um, assessment as yet. As a result of that, that means that no one really knows the precise details and therefore can't and, and won't be able to understand the strength of UEFA's case and Man City's case. Now, Man City have said throughout that they have irrefutable evidence to demonstrate why they haven't been in breach of the regulations. So um, we'll have to wait to, to see that before CAS if necessary. The interesting elements that are now playing out and will be playing out in the coming weeks um, relates to the timing of um, the hearing um, and the potential timing for the sanction. Now, what can happen and what the club can and is able to do is put forward interim um, submission, submissions regards to interim measures. And that more or less is um, how they would like the case to proceed. And then UEFA can um, ultimately make comments on that. And then CAS would, uh, with its arbitrators appointed, make a decision, which is as follows. Either the case either the sanction should be suspended i.e frozen pending the outcome of the decision because the decision and the case may take several months and if that's the case manchester city may argue that they should be able to be participating in the champions league competition for the following season because the case hasn't finished or um, everybody or manchester city at first instance ask for an expedited um, um, situation i.e a sped up process in order for everything to be resolved before the end of the season, query when the end of the season will actually be, um, so that everybody has certainty, um, other clubs have certainty as to what would be the outcome. Now, um, there have been reports also lately that some clubs actually have made submissions to CAS asking for um, their view, uh, or clubs putting forward views as to whether the matter should be stayed or whether it should be fast-tracked. Um, I think at the moment, I think it's fair to say that um, those clubs at the moment probably don't have standing before CAS. That might change at a later time. Um, but I think the other point also is, is that it was brought to my attention from a great post, post on Twitter from um, 
a, a barrister of our of mine, um, John Merzard, barrister and good friend of mine, John Merzard, who works at Littleton Chambers, who does some fantastic work, and we work alongside each other a lot, was that actually um, there won't be any cases heard physically before CAS before the end of May. And if there are hearings, they're going to be held remotely, but there will inevitably be delays to the CAS process. So um, the next question, I guess, to look out for is whether the matter will be resolved quickly or stayed pending the outcome. And I think that's ultimately um, the next step that will probably occur. Query whether the season is pushed back a while, while it actually gives um, everyone a bit more time to be able to um, have the actual hearing, to be able for the, for the CAS panel to come to its um, conclusion. The one thing I would say is that Ferran Serrano um, actually did give a, an, uh, an interview a few weeks ago where he said that he thought that he would like the case to be heard and finalised before the end of the summer. So if that was the case, they would look like they're trying, Manchester City are going to try and get this case sorted um, before the summer period so that maybe clubs will know um, next season who will be um, appearing or who will potentially qualify for a Champions League um, competition. So uh, that is where we are with those three topics. I'm sorry I've gone a little bit longer, uh, but I wanted to um, uh, at least mention those particular Man City points, which are pretty relevant. I think what I'm going to do first, if that's okay, is just go through the quiz question. So the question was, which Premier League club in the 1819 season made the largest losses? So give me a second. I will just have a look back. We've got lots of questions coming, which is great. Um, and the answer you'll be pleased to know was Everton. Everton made the largest losses in the 1819 season. And the winner of the book um, is Will Morris. Will, thank you very much. You were very quick off the mark there. So well done. Um, as always, if you want, you've got to tell me whichever one you prefer. You can either have a copy of Dr. Urquhart's book, How to Be a Football Agent, or a copy of Done Deal. Just let me know. Um, if you can send me a message on LinkedIn, maybe that might be the easiest way. And um, and then we can get the, the book sent over to you. So uh, let's get going with some questions. And I'm sure there'll be quite um, a few this evening. So good, good on that front. Mark. <clears throat> Do you think the Galatasaray cast decision has much jurisprudential value on the Man City case? Um, I'm not sure. I, my recollection of Galatasaray case was they breached the settlement agreement um, and then were banned, whereas this particular case isn't a breach of the settlement agreement. Um, what Gala, I think, also did was they actually brought forward some competition law arguments as to establishing whether the FFP rules were anti-competitive as well. And the CAS gave that those arguments pretty short thrift. But on this point, what we're talking about is an overstatement of sponsorship monies um, rather than a breach of um, settlement agreements. Um, Fahad, I think FFP rules have pushed transfer fees up a bit, given clubs in operating losses want to cover that up with player sales. Well, it works both ways, really, because whilst that might be the case, there are a number of clubs that can't spend large sums anymore because they would be in breach of the um, the FFP regulation. So, yeah, I think there's there's two sides to that coin. Did Manchester City bloat their sponsorships as a way to get around FFP? Do you think they'll win their appeal? Well, I think just as I, as I mentioned Ira, just before, there's no way of knowing at the moment um, uh, whether they'll win their appeal because 
the strength of UEFA's case and the strength of Manchester City's case just isn't there in the public domain at the moment. So who knows? Um, but it will make for a fascinating um, uh, decision uh, reading when ultimately I think the UEFA decision might be published. The UEFA club financial control body adjudicatory chamber decision and then also the ultimate CAS decision. There's also a query about whether the CAS hearing could even be um, made, um, streamed live. I know that it might be remote hearings in the first place, but whether actually because of um, a number of particular arbitrations that have happened before, um, a Chinese swimmer, for example, their um, CAS hearing was um, streamed live. So there's the possibility of live streaming of the actual remote hearing is a possibility, but whether that might be too difficult or otherwise at the moment is uh, remains to be seen. Stephen, uh, spot on for DG to define competitive balance as outcome uncertainty to maintain fan appeal. Uh, many do not use this definition, but instead favour parity. Okay, thanks for that, Stephen. Um, George, one question on Man City. Is it an option at all for them to get dropped leagues down? Um, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, and it actually highlights a really interesting point that's going on at the moment, which is there is also a Premier League and a Football Association investigation into uh, Manchester City right now. Because as well as there being uh, potential breaches of the UEFA financial fair play regulations, there might be also breaches of the Premier League's um, equivalent. Um, the Premier League has... Um, uh, quite a lot of discretion or rather an independent panel that would be set up to look at that uh, would have quite a lot of power and discretion to be able to impose pretty substantive sanctions. So although it wouldn't be UEFA that would be potentially dealing with um, Premier League specific matters, a Premier League independent commission would be doing that. Sinir. So when a team falls foul of the 30 million requirement and is punished by UEFA, the owner could prevent that by putting money in escrow and having that money used. Um, guess what I'm saying is it can exceed the level of up to 30 million euros if such excess is entirely covered by contributions from equity partners, participants. Um, so at the moment, that's not a possibility under the UEFA rules, I believe. That is only a possibility um, under a larger significant amount for the EPL regulations at the moment. And that allows clubs to be able to make losses of up to £105 million. So I think if there was to be greater flexibility going forward in the UEFA regulations, that could certainly be something to take into account, which is escrow to cover excess over particular amounts. Uh, Michael, having in mind that big clubs have found various ways to circumvent FFP, um, while smaller clubs are punished for breaching FFP, do you think FFP is successful after all? Well, I, I don't think, my own view is I'm, I'm not convinced that clubs have found various ways to circumvent FFP, um, Neymar transfer and Man City case. I think the PSG example is a very, very specific example of when UEFA haven't necessarily um, haven't necessarily got uh, been in agreement throughout its organisation. In the UEFA Neymar PSG case, the club financial control body investigatory chamber disagreed with the adjudicatory chamber, but was then out of time to be able to make that decision. Man City case, if you remember correctly, the same with PSG back in the day in Monaco and other clubs. 
they were significantly um, well substantively um, sanctioned by entering into settlement agreements back in 2012, if I remember correctly, where there were large fines, squad reduction sizes, spending restrictions, etc. So, um, you know, it, it certainly couldn't have helped even the biggest clubs that they were under particular spending um, and behavioural restrictions um, by entering into the settlement agreement. So I'm not necessarily convinced by the narrative that club, big clubs just find a way around the regulations and that smaller clubs are, um, are lesser. And the second question was, wouldn't a luxury tax on player transfers to be more proportionate way to regulate overspending? Apologies for the question. Well, yeah, luxury tax is a, is a distinct possibility. Um, the, at the moment, there isn't that appetite uh, amongst UEFA by the sounds of things, but there's no reason why those type of things can't change in time. It's just at the moment, that's not necessarily, um, that's not necessarily on the horizon. Um, next question from Vasilis. Um, on the City case, but not specifically on FFP, do you think there is any chance that City hearing will be held in public? Or would you advise on this as an attorney? Um, yeah, really interesting point. I don't know whether it will be heard in public. Uh, there is the possibility that it might be streamed um, along with other types of cases at the moment. I think with the added complication of no cast hit, um, hearings in person until at least the end of May, maybe the technology might not be there to be able to stream parties that are going to have to dial in as well as um, participants listening in. That The, the, the technology is there, it's just whether um, CAS can do that. Um, Hilda Georgina, uh, do you think FFP and other profitability and sustainability rules should be suspended for 1920 season as a consequence of COVID-19? Yeah, really good question. I think um, for these type of force majeure events, um, it's something that's specifically catered for in the FFP regulations that um, sensitivity, significant sensitivity, should be provided and given um, to clubs in financial difficulty. And we've seen instances already where um, UEFA has at least come out and said that um, the budget, the future financial information information um, won't necessarily need to be required for a period of time. But I would be hugely surprised if a club um, that is, for example, investigated further by UEFA for FFP breaches that can demonstrate that the only reason why they've had more significant losses is because of um, the pandemic. I would be shocked if there would be substantive sanctions put in place as a result by UEFA. Fahad, um, given several examples before, the likes of City, PSG, Milan, to name a few, all have received different kinds of punishments and fines. What defines what kind of punishment according to UEFA? Um, ultimately, there, there's, um, a, there, there is no sanctioning guidelines, but there are specific um, sanctions that um, UEFA can impose. And I guess, just like anything else, it's um, on the basis of proportionality. Um, how significant is the behaviour that has caused the breach? and how uh, much of a sanction needs to be imposed to demonstrate the breach was substantive enough. So, you know, ultimately everything has to go back to proportionality, how severe was the breach in the first place and how that aligns with the potential sanction. Um, Sinir, uh, let's see, sorry, make sure I haven't missed anything. 
Um, the executive committee also decided to suspend the club licensing provisions that relate to prep and assessment of future finance. Yeah, exactly. What what does that mean? It more or less means that budgeting um, submissions that are need to be are needed to be provided to UEFA to understand the club's budget, which gives a, a decent um, uh, idea as to the the profitability or otherwise of the um, of the club. That those provisions uh, at the moment don't need to be provided to UEFA. Jorg, um, if Man City is found guilty, will this have the, if any effect on the football club's good character report for the owner of Man City? If so, what actions could be taken against him? I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's not necessary that Man City will be found guilty. UEFA have already um, imposed that sanction. Um, it would be for the for CAS to overrule UEFA's adjudicatory um, arm, which is a distinct possibility. Um, but ultimately then, I'm not sure what, if, if it's in relation to the owners and directors test, I'm not necessarily convinced that that will impact too much um, on um, Sheikh Mansour. Um, Arya, what do you think of the situation at Charlton with the dispute between myself and another guy? Do you think they'll run out of money and could fall into administration? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the real detail. I know that there is some real governance issues going on there, but um, it's probably a little bit outside the scope of FFP for tonight. Um, but I will look into that in a bit more detail. As is, um, thanks for the session again. What impact will COVID-19 crisis have on FFP and the like? Yeah, I think as just mentioned, um, I think UEFA will be very sensitive to clubs' needs at a particular time when there is such potential financial upheaval. Um, Sinir, I support Maccabi Tel Aviv, who have a settlement agreement in place. Uh, it was complying, but COVID-19 is a problem to further comply. So good thing that the reports of this season don't have to be provided. Yeah, well, it's, it's also there's a question about continued compliance um, to ensure a lack of over under, or lack of particular spending. So those settlement agreements will still need to be adhered to. But again, if there's a breach of the settlement agreement and it is entirely or substantively down to um, the pandemic, I would be hugely shocked if that becomes um, uh, yeah, a reason for a substantive ban. Um, Oksana, uh, do you think um, if found guilty by breaching FFP, Man City as a private company are likely to have breached the company's act to other offences, e.g. E false financial statements and representation? Yeah, I'd just be speculating, but it's, a, it's an interesting point. Um, ultimately, the club's auditors would have been sign, signing off on these um, on this documentation as well. So, um, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Haroon, what effect would upholding the two-year ban on Man City have on clubs like PSG? Would they be next in line, next on the list to be banned? Well, I, I don't think there's any ongoing PSG investigations right now. Um, is the truth? Um, the effect of the upholding of the two-year ban on City would have the most substantive impact on fifth place in the Premier League, um, who would then qualify for um, Champions League competition. And then the other clubs would potentially lift up one for um, Europa League um, positions too. So there we are. Um, we have had just over 30 minutes. Um, and sorry, Sinir, just ask one more question. Um, Ari, there's a question on QPR. Their, their questions related to championship matters, championship regulations. Um, they were fined a large amount of money. Um, they questioned the FFP regulations, whether they actually were legal. 
Um, ultimately, they settled their case with um, the Football League. And unfortunately, the decision was never published, which was a shame. But that was settled and they paid a substantive fine. Sinir, so under UEFA FFP, how can a club be permitted to go over the 30 million losses? Um, they, they can't, is the truth. But remember, there are some significant and substantive um, um, costs that don't fall in line uh, with the costs um, as defined under the regulations, youth development, stadium infrastructure, um, women's uh, investment, etc. And remember as well, one of the things I mentioned in the book is a transfer fee. Not only is it paid in installments, so that's over on a yearly basis, but is amortised over the length of the contract. So, for example, a hundred million pound transfer fee um, over five years is amortised twenty million pounds per year, and that obviously doesn't obviously include club um, wages as well. But obviously, that hundred million pounds isn't a hundred million pounds that just goes into that year's accounts usually um, for um, those loss um, or loss calculation purposes. So uh, yes, as always, um, a couple of book recommendations, if that's okay, uh, or rather one for the day. Actually, it was linked to the Man City uh, matter. So this was a really interesting book. It's uh, by actually the chief executive of Manchester City, Farron Soriano. Um, called Goal. There's some great chapters on managing, on commercial aspects, on player contracts, on how they recruited particular managers. Um, I always have this on the shelf. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it's very easy to read um, and was a really good insight into his time at um, Barcelona. And again, as usual, if that's okay, um, yeah, uh, I just want to mention Noah's Ark Hospice. Uh, please feel free to support them as always and hopefully. Uh, you are uh, able to. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch, and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.